BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, hello and welcome back. I'm Darren Ravel. I am joined by Eric Cusin and Theo Fleury, and we are back for another season of We're All Little Crazy Podcast, brought to you by the same here Global Mental Health Alliance. Uh, we are the show that talks about current events, pop culture, and how it coincides with mental health. And we have been gone for a little bit, but the same issues keep coming up again and again, and they are not talked about in the depth that they need to be talked about. And that is why we are here and that is why we exist. And I'm going to pass it over to Eric because Eric is our driver of what is going on in the moment and how we should think about mental health in everything that's happening today. It's amazing to be back. I, I you know, when you say I'm the driver of it, I got to say just a little commentary. I, you know, the name of the, org, the, the, the show is we're all a little crazy and it's it's driving me crazy to see what we're going through because it's been a year and i think as a as a as a group of advocates you look around the internet you look around social media it's like things are getting better things are going in the right direction and i look at these stories i got the list in front of me here right now i mean i could fill up an entire notebook of what's gone on that's probably moved us in the wrong direction there's a lot that we're going to have to discuss right now there doesn't mean there's not positives as well we're going to discuss both of them but we come at it for everyone here from very different angles. You got Darren, who's a sports reporter, been a sports reporter his whole life, was a journalism major at at uh, Northwestern University. You got Theo, who is a NHL great, Stanley Cup champion, um, you know, Olympic gold medalist. And then you got I, I've been a sports executive, and I've seen it on the corporate side of things. And you know, to to come at it from each of these different angles, I think is really important to hear different perspectives, although we oftentimes have similar takeaways. What you're talking about is that although more stories are coming out, and we spoke about this last year, more stories are coming out, there's more willingness to talk, there's more people to talk, but the synthesis is not happening. They are all each in their individual silo. They are their individual story. And they are not being connected. They're the story of the day. And then yes. tomorrow is another story without talking about yesterday. And that's really where we need to get to that we're not getting to. And 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 to have you, Darren, as someone who's got the background in journalism and media, listen, the skeptic, Theo and I, right, we'll, we'll play the skeptic role in this case, would say that's by design that things are being kept in buckets, you want to look at altruistically and say, oh, it's happening because there's not a deep enough understanding for how to connect the threads of all these things together. That's totally cool. But I think that the, to your point, the way that you just summarized it, Darren, is, is, is on point, which is every day it's what's the new train wreck? Rinse, wash, repeat. Forget about that last story. Move on to the next one. And there's no thread brought together. Theo, before I get into the topics, then since Darren, I gave a little bit of opinion here. You want to share anything on that? Yeah. In my opinion and my expertise, it's 
the continuum of unresolved trauma. That's what this all comes down to. And, you know, what we're trying to do with this podcast is acknowledge that trauma is the catalyst, which brings us into the mental health space, which then brings us into the addiction space, is is the simple fact that we're trying to create a safer place and a safer environment where people can talk about their trauma stories. Because when my healing journey started was in 2009, when I wrote my book, Playing With Fire. That's where I talked for the first time in my life about my trauma story and my trauma history. And then what happened was a whole bunch of people all over this planet were like, oh my God, I had the same experience that Theo had. I better reach out and talk to him because he's the only person that's going to bring compassion, empathy, and and uh, understanding and non-judgmental to what I want to speak about. And that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is create a bigger space, yes, a more understanding, compassionate, non-judgmental space where I can talk about my trauma history. So Theo, your story for everyone, you know, I think most people who are listening to this will have known your story for those who are new. Theo was raped over 150 times by his male coach when he was 16 years old. That's only part of his trauma history. There's there's a a much richer story, which we'll get into as the as the season unfolds. But you hear that. And what Theo is saying is when he told that story, people didn't come up to him and say, I have PTSD also. They came up to him and said, Theo, I was raped also. And it might have happened at a different age. And it might have happened by a different person. Maybe it was a family member versus it being a coach. But it happened. And when you tell stories of what happened to you, guess what? It doesn't need to be one-to-one. It doesn't need to be exact. All that needs to happen is the pain that we experience. There needs to be similarity in pain and understanding that when we go through these traumatic life events, that ties us all together. Now, if I bring that back to Darren's comment, what Darren's pointing out is there's train wreck story after train wreck story after train wreck story. And what happens is the media goes, that's called addiction that's called you know alcoholism that's called fentanyl abuse that's called bipolar issue that's called depression that's called anxiety what we're doing here is we're giving a lens to all this of how it all fits together so that we could create that safe place for everyone to talk about everything okay so when i read and i think that i i, I appreciate that both of you stopped me before i went into the list and the list is only pieces of what have, has gone on since we've been together last. But when you hear the list, you're probably going to go, how do those things all fit together? Well, that's what the discussion point is going to be as we we go through each of these. So first is we have the release of the 988 number, okay? July 16th, 988 became the National Suicide Prevention Hotline and Text Line, okay? So a marketing message to get a common message out there like we have a 911. Then you had a story that was released on study that was done looking at dozens of other studies, right? So it was a research paper looking at other studies, disproving this idea that chemical imbalances are what underlie mental health complications, okay? That that be, that was the prevailing thought in this space that, that anyone who's going through one of those disorder labels that I shared is dealing with a chemical imbalance. Okay, then you had John Wall, who I think released one of the best, most heartfelt 
true raw trauma stories out there did not lead with a label talked about everything that happened to him as an athlete and as a human being okay then we saw the head trauma of uh Tua Tungavailoa from the Miami Dolphins oh my god how does head trauma come into place when we're talking about just overall life trauma and life experiences we're going to get into that the suicide of major corporate executives that's unfortunately become a major a thread you, you we lost Gustavo Arnal, who was the, the CFO for Bed Bath & Beyond. We lost Jamie Roots, who was the president of the Texans. Okay, Then more recently, which we're going to get into because it's important to do, do stories that are, that are recent, you had the murders that took place both on Virginia's campus with three football players, on Idaho's campus with four students, all in the same week when the Washington Post released a pretty big hit piece, and we could decide whether or not it was purposeful or whether it was just telling the truth of what's going on on Yale's campus with respect to their policy around students who have suicidal ideation or who have to go make a visit to the psych ward, mental hospital, whatever term you want to use for it, in terms of acknowledging that they're going through that issue and whether or not they're allowed on campus. Last one we're going to talk about in the most recent story, Isaac Humphreys, uh, played in the NBA, was a player for Kentucky, and came out to his teammates yesterday as openly gay, but in his reveal shared that he was in a very dark place before he shared, and that led, unfortunately, to a suicide attempt. So long list there. Let's hope we can get through a lot of it, but I, but but the, the richness of that list, hopefully what it does is it helps everyone understand, like, there's a lot going on and a lot that usually isn't connected, and how can we connect the dots here? So, so Darren, I want to start with you on this 988 release. Because you're a journalism major, because you have a background in communication, the, the skeptics, when, when the 988 number was released, said, we're not ready. The call line and the call trees aren't ready. We're not going to be able to support all the calls that come in. Uh, are we doing this at the wrong time? Are we forcing this number too early to get people in to, to, to be using a tool like this? What say you, someone who is involved in communications and has done it for your entire career? Yeah, you know, uh, for someone who for so long has not criticized the suicide hotline, right? Like, I, it, I, I always feel like if there was a need for something immediate, there should have been the the parallel to the nine one one. Um, I so, and 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 I I think just the fact that it is created. It's easy enough to create, I think, uh, kind of puts mental health and the moment of crisis. Now, hopefully, again, in a, a pie in the sky world, you try to train this world to not get to the moment of crisis. But as you know, ideations are ideations and whatever. I, I think it, it it calls into attention the fact that, you know, there is priority here for mental health at the most emergency of stages and so i don't think this this is almost like having a baby you're never ready you're never ready i'm glad i'm glad you said that you're never ready part and i'm glad as someone who's been a skeptic of the idea of okay just send people to the suicide prevention hotline or the crisis text line your warmth to the idea of what the 988 does because i want to dive a little deeper you're a father well because so, so yeah i mean uh, so just to make it clear like yeah my criticism has come with how much promotion there has been of the suicide hotline and less so of the promotion of yes. better mental health, at least to the point to getting to a place where there's more promotion of 
being healthy and getting proactive. healthy proactive as, versus reactive. As, right as the suicide hotline just given how much of a piece of the mind share it gets of the mental health conversation that it's the end that it's not the beginning the middle or anything else that's been my criticism but but to to the creation of this uh, is just another step in mental health is a priority and it's easy enough. And yes, uh, we're we're never going to be ready for it. So, you're so never ready for any conversations. You're never ready for a baby. You're never ready. The whole idea of ready uh, is is overrated. Okay, so so the U.S. mandated that every state roll this out on July 16th. Okay, so to your point, ready or not. Now, I want to get into the X's and O's of what a rollout means. And why this is helpful, because I'm 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 leaning where you're leaning, but I want to get it from the perspective you're both parents. I'm not a parent. I can look at it through the lens of my nieces, but not as direct as what you are. Darren, your criticism, and again, I'm using that term, but of that the suicide prevention hotline was just thrown out there without being proactive in the past. I happen to think in this case, and it sounds like you agree, but in this case, when you have 988, because of how comfortable everyone is with 911. It allows for proactive conversation. What does 911 do? It doesn't say, okay, only emergencies. We're never going to discuss emergencies until emergencies happen. You learn it as a little kid in school and you go, if an emergency happens, I do this. And so I think by having a number that mirrors what the 911 format is, it gets it on the minds of students when they're coming into school. They learn it early on, which has the end result of normalizing conversation because then the students are going, oh, why are they telling us all about this 988 number if that can't happen to me? Oh, shit, it can happen to me. Just like an emergency with 911 can happen to me. And so I think the marketing effect of what having a 988 does, to your point, ready or not, starts to grease the wheels and get the foundation laid on talking about this proactively. Theo, you're, you're a parent, right? Like, I mean, it, it, does it, it, does it make you feel good that this is out there? Yeah. hundred percent. You know, the, the biggest epidemic on the planet isn't COVID-19 it's mental illness, mental health challenges. And, and, you know, we've done, like I said, we've done such a poor job in the space, you know, creating, safe spaces and safe environments, you know, a 988 number. Yeah, of course they're not ready for it because it's going to be overwhelmed and ransacked because there's so many people out there who, well, what mental illness does is it creates uh, a perspective that I have nowhere to go. I have nobody to talk to. So being able to dial a 988 number and actually get a, a live, living, breathing person on the other end of, of a conversation, yeah, that that is incredibly positive. And, and it is needed. But the infrastructure that this needs is, is I don't know if they're ready for that. They, because they, of the significance of the amount of people, especially in the last three years, who are struggling with mental health challenges okay so but but now let's take it as logical thinking human beings who aren't on the ground implementing the 988 number okay mm -hmm. so so they already announced year over year calls from the time that they uh rolled it out until recent i don't know the exact date but the number that i have here is that they had one hundred and fifty-two thousand more calls and texts to 
the 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 98 number than they had in the same time period last year okay so we know there's an uptick that's a good thing i think okay but and and i know this is a harsh reality for people because when you're when you're playing in the in the, in the space of mental health there's unfortunately going to be losses and anyone who is on the back end of those losses we look at it as an awful tragedy because that's what it is the positive side and why am i comparing tragedy versus who we might be saving because of what Darren brought up about being proactive. Let's say we're not ready and we're never ready, okay? Let's say we're not ready for the next three months. I can, Theo, Darren, and I cannot sit there and go, there aren't going to be some lives lost because the network isn't fully in place, because the phone trees aren't fully in place. There's going to be stories that come out over the next however many months, over the next so many years, saying that someone called in and in calling in, they didn't get the help they needed. They weren't transferred to the right person, and we lost them. No one's saying that's not going to happen. But what has to be countered to that is by putting this number out and normalizing 988 that it can happen to any of us, how many people start a routine of meditation or yoga? How many people start opening up and sharing something with their friends? How And that's a number that can never be measured. And I think that's an important takeaway from all this is we always want things to be fully ready. And I don't think they always are. Yeah, Theo. No, I, I, I agree with you. But the simple fact that that it's out there now is really important because, because what we need to do is we need to retrain people that when I am feeling depressed or anxious or whatever label you want to attach to, I have access to someone or something 24 hours a day, no matter how I'm feeling. And, and, you know, when I started talking about my mental health, it was, it was, it was really hard, right? Now it's easy. I can pick up the phone and tell anybody when they ask me, how are you doing? I am depressed. I am anxious today. I am, you know, feeling this, this has happened in my life because I train myself or I've created a habit where it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. What's what's interesting to me here is that there's also an element to who is calling the number. So, right. So, so there will be, it will not only be uh, the people in the moment, but there will be people who will call who are with that person. Yes. Right. And that will lead to the first conversations about their mental health, believe it or not. But right. Go, that... go back and Darren, go back to when you were a little kid. Cause I know you're seeing it through your kids' eyes, but when you learned the not the 911 number as a kid, your mind went through this almost merry-go-round of ideas of like a fire could happen in my house. Uh someone could get burnt on the stove. There could be someone that gets electrocuted. Like uh, seven seven years old, six years old, seven right? years old, and 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 so even though that's a little scary, and 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 it puts the sympathetic nervous system on alert, it makes you think about the possibilities, and then in thinking about the possibilities, your mind goes, okay, there's a place I can go if, and then you realize you're potentially susceptible, and I think by putting this number out there, again, I we can't promise that everyone that everyone's going to get saved based on calling this number. But I think what this does is in an attempt at normalizing conversation, that's what we're all attempting to do here. It takes it away from this idea of the haves and the have nots, the affected and the unaffected, which is what our goal is all along. And it says, this is a number that any of us can use. 
in case of that emergency. And I think that's a good thing for the movement overall. It's it's interesting you mentioned how, and we'll move on to another topic, but but it's interesting how you mentioned how even the number helps normalize, right? Yes. So like I give my cre- my my parents credit in 1987, they sent me to a therapist. They had not been going to therapists, but I went to a therapist in 1987. They thought I was being obsessive about not taking Tylenol because of the Tylenol thing or not drinking milk because I was watching news and there was something there. And the way I normalized it then was even without a quote unquote issue, all three of my children see therapists so that they could t- they know that there's someone else to talk to. Just the number normalizes things, creates conversation. And look at and and the placement of where it is. When you have nine eight eight, that's something that could be taught in a school. That's easy. That can be put on posters. We have this thing called Lifesaver. Lifesavers L I F E. It's an acronym for almost like a stop, drop, and roll of suicide prevention. You can put that nine eight eight number up there. It's easy to talk about the frustrations that you had with the suicide prevention hotline when it was that long one eight hundred number. Was it was a throw in at the end of press releases at the end of news broadcasts this is that 988 becomes a marketing message and i think that's really what differentiates it professional welder shana ford used vr training developed by forge fx to hone her skills as a welder the more time that you spend practicing it that's what separates a good welder from a great welder vr training can help students like shana repeatedly practice specific skills Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay. Article comes out. This also falls in line, Darren, with with media, and I'm I'm going to say it bluntly. This is upsetting on my end because I saw the article put out on Huffington Post, but the UK version of Huffington Post. This message did not get the play in the US. It should have with how much information, how important important this information was. But a long study reviewing dozens of other studies sharing how. Mental health challenges are not caused by this idea that we've been sold for so long of chemical imbalances. In the report, I just have some some key highlights from there. Fifteen percent of people from who from the research that they found who take these drugs, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. We're going to get into a second what those words mean. See some form of symptom relief. Okay, that means eighty five percent don't. So. So we're, and, and I'm, I'm case in point. You guys know my story from season one, but I'll repeat again, 52 different psychotropic drug combinations being told that I had all these different types of chemical imbalances, depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, ADD, ADHD, all these things that I needed the drug to fix the imbalance. 
And here are the studies showing of the SSRIs, and most of those 852 that I took were SSRIs, that 85%, there's not even symptom relief, let alone that there's a resolution, which is what's sold in these commercials that we see, that we see a sad face become a smiley face 15 seconds into a 30-second commercial. Yeah. Now, juxtaposed to that, before we discuss it, I want to share this stat because it's important. Of those that they uh, studied and, th and that they surveyed, I should say, between 80 and 90% of the population that they surveyed believes that depression is solely and I have that word underlined because that's the word that they use in the, in, the, in the survey, solely due to serotonin or a chemical imbalance, okay? So think about that. What we have learned as a society from the advertisements that we have received, from the commercials that we see, from the messages that are out there in the print advertisements, is that when there's something wrong with you, it's because genetically your brain went to this place where the chemicals got off or, okay, maybe there's something lifestyle related, but it's, it's because your chemicals are off. Simply put in a box and now you need to get these chemicals put in your brain to balance out that, their, that imbalance. And I know that for myself because that's why I tried 52 because I'm a stubborn SOB and was willing to say, give me whatever you need to balance out what I have. So Darren, I, I want to start with you because when when you see a study like this come out and you know and, and look we're we're taking a chance here by putting this stuff out there i'm not saying we're not because this is not stuff that people talk about but but when this is a hot topic in the uk and this is a major study about we we are by far our country is by far three times most of the countries in europe in terms of our psychotropic drug use here Antidepressants is one in four people use antidepressants in this country. So are you are you saying this? this I, you sent it to me. I read it. Are you yeah. saying this story really didn't make it to the U.S.? If you look at look, I, I challenge anyone to Google what papers this story was promoted in and shared in. Okay, it see, was, that's an interesting thing because you're always and I always challenge you. Like this is impossible. The whole like conspiracy theory about. Uh, well, you know, these 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 posts don't get the engagement because the drug companies and other people are circling or social media is trying to put it down. And I don't believe you often. And then you show me more stuff. But very, very interesting that it doesn't get here. Um, I'm going to say something really weird as someone who's been on Zoloft for 12 years. I think it helps me. I don't know if it helps me. Uh Taking a pill every day psychologically helps me. <laughs> uh, right, right, right. Like to be able to say, right, there is something to be to be said about being able to say, uh, it's not me, it's my chemical imbalance, it's my it's yes. my genetics, it's not something that that was messed up with me. I mean, it is, but it's not my fault. Right. There I, I, pre I appreciate you being I appreciate you being open about that because I think it's important for people to hear that. Like Theo's lipping the terms placebo as you're saying that, right? right. So we right. don't know in the 15% that are are talking about symptom relief. We don't know if it's active actual symptom relief. I spoke with a couple of doctors before I got on the call that I just be pre prepared for this topic. There are certainly explanations for why chemical, and by the way, for everyone to understand SSRI. They are not putting serotonin into your brain. It's called a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which means the free-flowing amount of serotonin in your brain, more of it that you already have is allowed to stay free-floating in your brain to be used so that 
your neurons could fire from one to the next across the synapses using that serotonin. It's not actually putting more serotonin in the form of synthetic serotonin in your brain. I think that's why most people think I have an imbalance. I don't have enough of it. I'm going to take a drug that's got more of it. That's not what happens. Okay. That is, it doesn't why, mean it doesn't that, work. Is, that is exactly what most people think. Okay. That's exactly. What, and that's probably why most people in the 80, 90% think that their depression is caused by a lack of serotonin. I take more serotonin and now I'm better. Hopefully now everyone understands at least much, you know, there's, there's neuroscientists who could explain that in way much greater detail than I can. The other but, problem though, Eric is yeah. right. The one time I went off it after like not taking it for 20 days, it was bad news. Sure. But then you don't, you don't know if it's because it's just a withdrawal symptom or it's actually, you needed it. I'm going to put another factor in there. And Theo knows this factor. When you go off something, Darren, our, our belief with respect to what happens with these mental health complications is that your nervous system is becoming dysregulated, not that you just have this thing called a chemical imbalance. So when you go off that drug, Darren, you're not only dealing with the potential of withdrawal as one of the factors, you're dealing with the uptick of your sympathetic nervous system. Why? Because your nervous system, whether consciously or subconsciously, is going, I'm Darren Ravel, and I took this drug before that helped me, and now I'm not on this drug. Is it going to get worse? 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 Guess what that does to your nervous system? It raises that sympathetic level, which dysregulates the nervous system, which creates the very symptoms that you had, which is why you went to take the medication in the first place. So it's a very complicated formula to say, well, I'm on it, it works. I'm off it, it doesn't work. And I, I need to say emphatically and be fairness. Look, there's people out there who take it. I had a woman today on on instagram who wrote me she deals with bipolar and she says i don't think you tell enough of the positive stories of how medications work for people and i kind of i wanted to be sympathetic towards her okay no 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 repeat on the sympathetic word meaning there but sympathetic in, in terms of being a human being i wanted to be sympathetic towards her but i also wanted to answer and be like there are enough pharmaceutical commercials out there there are enough accounts out there where you can find all the messages you need of them promoting the positive effects of what drugs do for you. You don't need another account doing that same thing. In fact, I sent you all the, 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 the advertisement that was up on mental health America's site with Selena Gomez. And it's simply, it's out of context. All it is is one phrase and it's Selena Gomez with a smile on her face. And she says, it was so hard until I realized I have mental health uh, issues and then I found the right medication and life is great now. I'm paraphrasing right now, but that was essentially the message. That tells people that if you find out there's something wrong with you because you're not feeling well, the great news is there's something going to fix you and there's this thing called drugs. I don't mind being the organization. I don't mind being the podcast. I don't mind being the group that says yes and, okay? Because fine, if, if you want to take a medication you think it works for you, I, I hope you're part of that 15% and I hope it does work for you. But I can't stop at Theo. How many calls do you get a day? How many emails do you get a day? And I know it's a lot once you put your story out there because I'm not an NHL player and I get them every single day where the mom goes, I brought my kid to the doctor. They were diagnosed with bipolar and ADD. They were put on Vyvanse and they were put on this other drug and, and lithium and they're being put on a benzodiazepine. And guess what? They look glossed over and they didn't get better. What do I do? If I had a dollar for every one of those conversations, I'd be able to provide uh, a therapy for every single person on the planet. Guess what? With all due respect to the woman who wrote me today, I want to be sensitive to those people that the drugs work for. Because again, they do work for some people. But mm -hmm. 
for that to be what we push and what we promote and not share that there's all these other ways to heal and some of the downsides of when we put all our faith in medication, we're not being fair to people. Yeah. Well, from a holistic perspective, right? When I focus in on my diet, lifestyle, exercise, you know, all those things, meditation, breathing, you know, all, all of these holistic practices, my mental health challenges improve significantly every time I do something um, to do self-care with myself, right? We don't talk about self-care, you know, <clears throat> and what I, but I, what I know is my nervous system over the years has been under so much stress. And so I'm producing large amounts of cortisol. And cortisol is like acid in my body. And the more cortisol I, I produce, the more likely my nervous system is going to be out of whack. So I have to do everything within my power from a holistic perspective to decrease cortisol production as much as possible. And that includes what I eat, how much I sleep, uh, how much self-care I do has to be part of my daily routine. If I don't do that, then I am going to struggle on a daily basis with high, high states of anxiety, which sometimes lead to full-blown panic attacks. So I know that if I don't sleep, I know that my day is going to be uh, a lot more uh, challenging than if I do sleep for eight complete hours, get into REM sleep, get into even a deeper sleep. Because when I sleep, I know that my body is repairing all of the damage that I've done over the years if I don't sleep, right? If I sleep, I my day goes pretty well. And those challenges that I face are less lessened, right? So diet and lifestyle, because anybody who's on a healing journey, who've experienced trauma, it's about spiritual, it's about my spiritual being, it's about my physical being, and it's about my emotional being. And so if I don't take care of those three things on a daily basis, I'm going to have some sort of challenges. And the simple fact that I accept it and own it, that it is my responsibility, just like if, you know, for years, I trained my body physically because I knew that I needed to in order to be the maximum elite athlete that I became. If I neglected my physical, I was not going to be the performer that I was. Now, I know I've accepted the fact that I have certain labels attached to my mental health. If I neglect one of those three things, then I am going to um, struggle. And knowing that I need to take responsibility and I need to do it for myself so that I can function with the challenges that I have. So there's an acknowledgement. There's an acknowledgement. Yeah, no, but you, okay. So what you just shared there, which was beautiful and hopefully people paid attention to it because they saw what your routine is. I got to ask Darren a question and then we could close this topic. So Darren, you know how much of an advocate 
I am for natural ways to heal and putting a routine together and having a gym for our brain the way that we have a gym for our body because I failed the way of the quick fix. And I wasn't looking for a quick fix because I was lazy. I was looking for a quick fix because that was all that was sold to me. Okay, Theo failed trying sex, drugs, alcohol, gambling, every single thing you could possibly imagine to, to dull the pain that he was in to get over. It didn't work, okay? The medications didn't work. And, and so he's uh, an advocate of natural healing. In short, Darren, as someone who's on the outside, medication may work, may not work, you're not sure for you. Do you feel like advocates generally, we're advocates, do we have an obligation to continuously tell the story of the positive impacts that drugs in terms of prescription drugs have on people if that's not been our reality, number one. Number two, if that's already being pushed by a large industry about what the positive impacts are, as an organization, we feel like it's our calling to share with people what other options are out there. Should it be our obligation to have to share the positive impacts that drugs have? I don't think, I mean, we shouldn't have any obligation to anything but making people healthier and making this world healthier. There shouldn't, that's why we don't have a, a drug sponsor to this show and never will, right? Because it just, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, sometimes I yell at you and say, oh, you know, you're too dismissive of the drugs because you were 0 for 52. Yeah. Um, but, 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 and, and I've had a, I think a good relationship with drugs, but honestly, I don't know. Right. Uh, but I don't think we, we should have to share anything, but it seems like if you share something negatively about drugs or you share something that has nothing to do with drugs and has to do with just health in general, you don't get the same type of reaction. And in some cases in social media, you even get dulled. Yeah. So I, it's the, the, let me, the let me jump in. Let me jump in. You know, there's different ways to cope. Right. And I, I think, you know, using a drug is is a is another coping mechanism. Right. You know, I still fall into old habits every once in a while. You know, um, I use my old stuff because it gets to the point where I'm completely overwhelmed and I have to go back into the well to get me to the next day. Right. But I also understand that I'm on a healing journey that's going to last me for the rest of my life. Yes. Right. And and the simple fact that, yeah, I'm going to have certain times in my life where I'm going to need old mechanisms that I used in the past to help me get to the next level of healing is okay as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So using you know, big pharma to get you to the next day or get you to the next healing modality right. is completely okay as well. Right. I'm not, I'm not anti-drugs and I understand that bipolar, psych, uh, uh, schizophrenia, schizophrenia. Yeah, absolutely needs medication and needs help so that you balance your brain, but don't think that that's the end point And that's the yes. last thing that you need to do. There are other ways and other modalities out there that are having huge amount of success that you're never going to hear about. Yes. And and I think that that balance is key right there is we're not damning medication and saying, don't ever take it. What we're saying is 
medications aren't cures the way that they're marketed. And so if 90, 80 to 90% of the population believes we have a chemical imbalance, you just take it to balance out the imbalance, you're not going to be open to looking at these other things that actually start to heal and regulate a dysregulated central nervous system. And the reason why we're so emphatic in these things is because we want people to heal. I love that Darren said, we're not obligated to anything. It's not. And, and I love that Theo, even who is ardently maybe, you know, uh, uh, with pharma, you know, has, has some beef and issues like I do, but he says, if people need to take it. So, but what this woman shared with me today is when you say it that way, and what we can move off this topic, but I just want to share this so that people understand where we're coming from. She says, when you share it that way, it sounds like an asterisk relative to the rest of what you're saying, as opposed to you. And, and I'll be, I'll be frank about it. I don't think there's an issue with it being an asterisk, like with it being a yes. And part of the conversation, because if we don't believe it's what cures people, and we think that even if they take it and it helps them, they still need to do more work, then guess what? We're going to keep pushing these this other work that you got to do, right? And so, yeah. so it's but not- it, But it can't, be, it can't be the number one thing that you go to. Number one and right? only. Number one and only. Yes, yes. That's, that's the problem we have yep. with Big Pharma is yep. that it, it, it has become- the one and only thing. Yep. And, and because 85%, which we know now, doesn't work, then why why aren't why aren't the the trusted servants, which are the doctors, psychiatrists, and psychologists, why aren't they giving us more options other than this is it? And if you don't have success with this, then then you know what what are we gonna do? Well, that's a whole nother show we could probably do this on, um, <laughs> exactly. you know, on, 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 you know, the modern re medical community and, and why there's not more integrative practice. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, switching gears. The John Wall reveal to me, since, you know, you had the, the, the early beginnings of athletes sharing their stories, which was in 2017, Ironically, Theo, right after you and I started talking, I think you were one of the first ones to share uh, in a vulnerable way what happened to you instead of what you suffered with, what your label was. Mm -hmm. But then since then, it's been a string of Kevin Love has anxiety, Michael Phelps has depression, then it's followed by use Talkspace, use BetterHelp. Simone Biles has depression, had to pull out of the Olympics. Naomi Osaka had anxiety, had to pull out of the French Open. It's rinse, wash, repeat. And I'm not even, in fairness to those athletes, as anyone, the, the story gets back to them because we have so many common contexts. I'm not necessarily even blaming them for the way that they share it. It's oftentimes the way that the media packages it and tries to make it simplistic, right? Or from a merchandising perspective, like use this app because if you have this label, you can get fixed from this as well. But here's what happened with John Wall. So he's in the middle of an interview with there's Salvation Army logos in the background. And he starts talking about how his father was in jail when he was growing up, later died of liver cancer. Okay. His mom, who was his best friend, recently, unfortunately, 
she went through terrible bout with cancer as well. And he said it was breast cancer. And he said he watched his mother waste away. I mean, to watch someone who he he described as his best friend and he described her body atrophying is just awful. He dealt with the incarceration of his brother, which was, which was another issue. Um, and then at the same time, and Theo, you can relate to this uh, injury in his case, which was there was an infection that came from a major surgery that he had. I believe it was on his Achilles. I know it was on his leg. And how that developed in his body. And so he said, he was sharing in that interview, he went from, I'm the chosen one in Washington. I'm going to bring this franchise to their first title in a while. Everyone loves me here. I'm the one that they can build around to now. I don't know if I'm ever playing again. And my best friend was taken away from me. That's the story that needs to get out there. And I don't mean John's story specifically. I mean the story of the what happened. Because when he opened up that way, you just saw people going on a social media page and you saw people's eyes open up and you saw their brains, their minds open up and go, I've been through something similar. Is there a person on this planet who can't relate to a loved one getting sick and watching their body atrophy there that way? Is there a person on this planet who can't relate to an injury or being taken off the sideline from whatever your purpose in your career is? In his case, playing basketball, but it could be an accountant in Darren, in your case, it could be getting taken away from being on camera or, or, or delivering a report somewhere, right? Is when these things get taken away from us, how they rock our world. And this needs to be the template around which we have public figure sharing, because this takes the onus and the emphasis away from the label and the separation that we were talking about at the beginning of this call. And it puts it on what someone went through. Darren, did you have a reaction when you heard it? Did, it? did it sound different than other stories you'd heard? I mean, it was really, the presentation of it was really well done, right? Like, I'm always worried about the presentation. How is it? I will say, like, we, we are bashing. We, overall, we've bashed how things have come out. Um, having Carson Daly on the Today Show, right, with his with his own struggles of generalized anxiety and, and what he has, he's actually been like a steward of, of putting these things out and doing some synthesis there. We need people to, who, who, who are, are willing to share and who share like all of us to help be those synthesizers instead of a producer said, this story's here and this story's here. Well, there's two, there's two, there's two avenues Dan. right? So, so one is let's give a lot of credit to the today show. You mentioned Carson Daly, like today's show is actually, you know, we, we give the, the traditional media a hard time for how they position these things. The Today Show has done a phenomenal job. They had all the family, shouldn't say all of them. They had most of the family members of most of the recent uh, suicides with college athletes on set together telling their stories, right? They had, um, is it Harry Miller is the last name? The, the player from Ohio State, right? Who stopped playing. Uh, because of his mental health, they've brought people on to do storytelling. And that's what's needed, right? It, it, there's, a, there's a nuance to this where big platforms need to be able to lend their platforms to the rich storytelling that takes place if we're going to normalize this conversation and to take the labels away from it, okay? If you listen to John Wall's story, it's just a, a, a story of trauma. Right. Exactly. One trauma after another trauma after another trauma. And so if you don't process any of that trauma, what happens? Yep. It layers in your nervous system. And then eventually, you know, 
Simone Biles comes out, says, I'm overwhelmed. I can't handle this. You know, Osaka, the tennis player, same yeah. thing. Eventually, and that's what happened to me at the end of my career, was I hadn't done enough processing of my trauma. It layered in my nervous system. And next thing you know, I'm on Madison Square Garden Ice trying to fight every single person, including the 19,000 people who are in the stands because I don't have any tools to deal with the overwhelming uh, complete history of my trauma. Yep. And That's I think, I think for, from an athlete perspective, Theo, but this probably happens in stories in offices all over, what, what John Wall did was a gift to so many people because, because, because I speak to athletes all the time. You speak to athletes all the time. They don't go into their quote mental health professional, right? NBA requires having mental health professionals. NFL requires having mental health professionals, even though the other leagues don't require it, they have them. And then they, the, the, the common misconception is if I step foot in that office, people see me walk there, I'm raising my hand and I have this thing called depression. Yep. I have this mm -hmm. thing called anxiety. And what John Wall said was, it's my stuff and I got to talk about yeah. my stuff and I got to put it out there. I got to work on my stuff. And well, a, a perfect example is we have Jonathan Huberto here in Calgary yep. and he's gotten off to a really, really slow start. Well, I go, you got to understand that, that this guy played for the franchise for 10 years in Florida. Yep. And, and he got traded out of the blue. He wasn't expecting it. Yep. That's trauma. Yep. And then immediately has to go to Calgary and create a whole new life and a whole new existence. And so that's trauma. Yeah, that's actually trauma. That's, that's it's trauma. Crazy. That's trauma. Well, that, well, that, look, Darren, if you were offered, look, put it in your own situation. I could put it in my own situation. I worked in sports. When you get the job offer, even when something positive, like Theo, you said Jonathan didn't know he's being traded. In in sports business, you go through the interview process. You know that you're going for that opportunity in that next market. Darren, you've been offered positions by other networks throughout the course of your career. I've been offered positions by other teams. Even when you make those transitions, by the way, everyone out there, even if you don't make the decision to make the transition and you're wondering and you're in control whether you should make the decision, that revs that sympathetic response way up and it dysregulates that nervous system as well. So what Theo's sharing there is the, the definition of what trauma is it's not having to get into a car accident. Someone, God forbid, crashing through a windshield. It's all yeah. these normal things that we go through. So it makes sense that Jonathan Huberto is going through that. And, you know, there's all these stories about like, oh, well, Brett Favre, you know, when he lost his father, he was able to get through it on the field. So he's more mentally tough than someone. But he, but he, he, he wasn't thinking. Yes. When he stepped on the field, that was his, that was his Prozac, his Zoloft, because yep. yep. that's what he knows. That's what he trained his whole life. So when he steps on the field, he doesn't have to think, yep. you know, for me, it was the same way. doesn't matter what was going on off the ice. When I stepped on the ice, I didn't have to but, think. But, but, but it's fool's goal to a certain point, Theo. Like, yeah, like, but eventually, eventually, eventually it, goes, it catches yes. up. I want to, I want to, yeah. I want everyone to know that. Like you, when you watch a, a Hall of Fame level player play, and you're like, oh, nothing bothers them, even when they're <laughs> going through the tough stuff. Eventually, guess what? Stuff bothers yeah. them. And when well, you look, think look that, what's happening with Tom Brady. Yes, exactly. I was going to bring that. I was going to bring up Tom yeah. Brady. Yeah. You know, people, people will say it's Todd Bowles versus Bruce Arians. It's getting the divorce. It's all. You know what? It's his stuff. It's the buildup of his stuff. Yes, age plays into it, but 
there is not a person on this planet who has grade A performance all the time because they're always able to push things out. And that permission being given to athletes, to people in offices, to kids in schools is so needed for people to understand, which I think transitions well because people don't usually put these into the same category. You got uh, uh, Tua Tungavailoa, right? He's a quarterback for Miami, stud coming out of Alabama. He's supposed to be the savior for the Dolphins. Earlier in the year, he throws six touchdowns, 469 yards in a game against the Ravens. And then there's two weeks in a row where he gets his head absolutely beaten the shit out of, okay? And I'm not trying to be insensitive in that comment. That's what it looked like. If you're a sports fan, there's no other way to look at it, okay? So one game, they they call it a back injury at first before a head injury, and they let him back in the game. He's coming back on the field. It's against the Bills, and you see him staggering around. And then another game, he's playing against the Bengals, and this defensive lineman just tosses him to the, to the ground. And I believe the term is discorticate posture is what Dr. Mike on our alliance called it. But if you looked at how uh, uh, Tua reacted afterwards, you saw his fingers locked into a position and he couldn't move his fingers and it almost looked like, God forbid, he was dying. Okay. And, you know, Mike flat out said to us, there are people who that happens. It's this, it's, it's a, it's a, a disconnect in the circuitry in the brain. And there's people that do die from that. And the fact that we didn't see that on TV, I mean, we're, we're lucky we didn't see a tragedy like that. But why do I bring this up in the context of what, what Darren shared at the beginning about that we're looking at all these things in different buckets is because Dr. Amen said this well during May's Mental Health Awareness Month. Mental health is brain health. And when you put TBI, traumatic brain injury, CTE, which by the way, can't even be diagnosed until post-mortem, okay? You put those in these separate buckets in these separate categories as mental health, mental illness, addiction, bipolar, depression, all these things, you're separating them out and you're doing a disservice to what this all is. This is brain health. And okay, it might be trauma from things you live through in your life that create the inflammation that happens in your system that creates the disconnect between how your brain and body is talking to one another, or it might be that you get hit by someone on the field, or it might be that you have crazy whiplash from being in the car. Theo, it might be you were telling me as a hockey player, you go in 30, 40 miles an hour skating, and then you come to a complete stop. You don't even hit anyone, but this, your, this brain in this fluid hits against this hard skull of yours, and that creates some kind of trauma. So underlying yeah. theo i mean isn't it trauma's trauma's trauma right we, we try yeah. to separate these things out of yeah. physical trauma but the effects on the body there's enough similarities we should be putting these things together when we talk about it yeah well and i i've experienced more physical trauma than i've experienced emotional trauma right so so my emotional trauma triggers my physical trauma and my physical trauma triggers my emotional trauma so I'm always on this seesaw of, you know, I'll wake up and I'll be like, okay, is this emotional or is this physical trauma what I'm experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis? Because they play off of each other constantly, 24 hours a day. But as, some, a as someone who's had both, Theo, this is so important for people to hear. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can't always differentiate between the two, let the world wake up to the fact that trauma is trauma is trauma and 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 
the person who gets that concussion, you might not have played in an NFL game where a 300 pound defensive lineman throws you to the ground and you may have never had your head hit the turf like that. But guess what? Some of the things that they're feeling, I'll tell you where my mind went to. Okay. Even though I played football growing up, even though I played basketball, even though Dr. Amen did my scan and says that I have seven traumatic brain injuries, right? Which <laughs> you, you take, give or take what, what that, if that's a high number or not, I saw that happen with, with, with Tua. And my mind immediately went to when I saw his his fingers lock up. I'm like, oh, when my mental health goes awry, I'm a lefty and my right side feels a little weaker than my left side. When I'm typing on the computer, I, I didn't even think about that. My mind just watching that went to that. I I, yep. I hope the narrative, Darren, you you unmuted yourself. I don't know if you, you want to chime in here, but it's like what about I mean, what 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 about the trauma again? Like I think people listening to this, just when they're when they don't understand just trauma now let's yep. let's get inside to his head now yep because because now it's like okay once his once the concussion protocol clears he's back yep. well he's not really like inside his head he's not you know um i i recently spoke to a player who had you know three massive surgeries in three straight seasons and i'm like is it trauma to then get out there every time and think you're going to get hurt. He he says, well, you know, I subscribe to the idea that I'm going to get more hurt if I think too much about being hurt. But like we expect people, we expect athletes to not have any of that, that Tua, because he's on your fantasy team and you have the jersey of, and he's a role model or whatever, like that he's not a normal person. But if you put yourself in his shoes the idea that he's going to go out and for the rest of his career, because of these two successive events in a row, play the same. That's crazy. That's crazy to think that he, he would be expected to not have that in his head. Look, well, and, and that's, and we, and because we haven't told the story, right? The story is athletes are superheroes. They're unbreakable. They're unshakable. Nothing bothers them, you know, all that stuff. Well, you know, I know when I was going through all my concussion stuff too, I, I was thinking every day, my career's over. How am I ever going to overcome this? You know, and then having to go out and play a fearless, you know, the way that I always played, well, it was impossible. And at the end, at the end, I, my brain couldn't, couldn't separate the two. And so I just left. I was like, I, I can't, you know, I can't do this. Theo, as you said that, my mind immediately went to Andrew Luck because it happened yeah. at a younger age. And so people couldn't understand it. How do you walk away from the game when it's too much and it builds, right? Maybe he's a little bit hard on himself, right? So, so you know, look, it, this is our first episode back. We've got a couple more topics to go through. We're going to go a little bit longer than we would typically go because it's our our – reunion let's call it episode coming back <laughs> from uh from from season one we got a couple more topics to get into but i darren just to, to end that one topic i want to say this because you asked the question from an everyday person standpoint we accept as a society that plaque builds in our arteries over time and it can happen from the foods that we eat you're eating saturated fat through the hamburgers and the french fries it could happen from sitting around the couch and not getting enough exercise it can happen because of genetics guess what trauma that accumulates in the system and that's why theo being an athlete and experiencing both physical and life traumas can tell the story 
that that buildup of trauma, it might come from different sources, but it starts to wreak havoc in the body in similar ways. And so that's what we're trying to alert people to. That's why we're bringing up a topic like this at a time when, you know, you might think, oh, well, why aren't you talking about anxiety and depression? This is why we're bringing it up all together. Darren, is that I wanna, helpful? I know, I know, I know I said move, move on, but uh, so this is an interesting one. So, you know, I'm a Devils fan, uh, was at the game when Jack Hughes got basically flipped on himself, you know, and was out for a couple of weeks last year. And it's interesting when there's talk about, well, he's not the same player this year and, and. I would like pie in the sky to, you know, at one point an analyst say, well, he got flipped on his head. He, he had a ridiculous, like, and obviously he's not jamming, jamming in front of the net and being where he used to be aggressively. And obviously he's just passing on the outside and being a pretty boy because it's not out of his head. Like he, it, it, it's, it's made him a different player. You have a, you have something where, and, and so, I don't know in the scheme of things where that is in his hockey career in his, in, in injuries, but like, I'm telling you, like, I can't wait for the day for someone to say, well, how could you expect him to be the same player based on what happened last year? He's not going to be. Well, the guys you're, you're as an athlete, you go in thinking you're invincible. Okay. And then you get that one injury where you tell yourself, holy cow, I'm not invincible, right? So, so then there's an adapt adaptation process that needs to happen where you got to figure out how am I going to play this game at the highest level and never let that happen again. So can you imagine what you're, what you're telling yourself, what your brain is telling you? you know, through that whole process. So when you have you an know, 80 million, what, while you're, when you're on the, the front end of an $80 million contract. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and, you know, uh, the, the people that are observing you paying to buy tickets, the media, all that, they don't come at this with any compassion or empathy no. towards that person Not at all. in this space. This space that we live in every single day, the mental health space, has to have more compassion and empathy. Otherwise, otherwise, we're going to keep in that trauma loop, which we've been in for years and years and years. But listen to how different Darren's understanding now of what Jack Hughes went through yeah. is than, oh, well, Jack, how most people think of it as Jack Hughes had an injury. He's back from the injury. He's 100% now. Or Naomi Osaka had the anxiety. She took the pill. She's better. She's back to being. No, these things are, are, are cumulative. They build in our system. And they're things that we have to learn to manage over time. Doesn't mean you can't get back to being a great player. You may even be a better player because you have different perspective. But you're going to be a different type of player from going through this. It actually it brings up, you know, I want to go about most 15 minutes more here in, in the spirit of having a longer. So we have about three more topics, five minutes each. So in that adjustment period, right, and in, in it, things change you. We lost two major C-level executives that was very high profile. One mentioned the name Gustavo Arnal, who was the chief financial officer for Bed Bath & Beyond. Jamie Roots was the president of the Texans for many years. Guys, here's the, the biggest takeaway for me when I heard both of their stories. Their families had no idea that something was close. I didn't say their families had no idea that something was going on. But when you listened to both 
Gustavo's wife said before the incident, which unfortunately happened, I can't get too graphic with it, uh, by building in New York City. I he didn't talk about this. He he didn't bring this up. This in Jamie's case, he had just dropped his kids off from everyone that I know in the industry, had just dropped his kids off for college. He just signed a deal to be a sports management professor at Rice University, he had left the the sports uh, management side and sports consulting side of things. And now he's going to be a sports management professor at Rice University. I want that to be a wake up call to everyone that suicide can happen out of nowhere. A heart attack can happen out of nowhere. Mention the buildup of plaque in our arteries over time. Suicide can happen out of nowhere because if trauma is a cumulative build, the irrational thoughts and the inability to fight those thoughts, I felt them myself and I've shared openly what they are. Theo shared them. They're a magnetic pull towards self-harm. Until you've been in that situation, it's very hard to describe, but it feels like you look at an object and the object is speaking out to you do something to me, do something to me, do something with this, hurt me with this, right? We look at a bridge, we look at a bridge that connects two land masses over a body of water. And instead of saying, oh, that's how I get from one side to the next, our mind goes, what happens if, right? Again, I'm not going to get graphic with it. Guys, the, if I want anything to come out of these stories and in honor of Gustavo, in honor of Jamie and fairness, I didn't know either personally. I know a lot of people who knew Jamie and had great things to, to say about him. I want this to be a wake-up call that you can have the pinstripe suit, you can have the pastel tie, you can have the nice shoes, doesn't mean that you're immune to this, okay? I look at Jamie's in particular of those two, I was a C-level executive, how close might that have been to, to being me? We haven't had the loss through suicide of a major figure in, in sports business in a long time that way. I could have been that person. It shakes me to think about that. And, and from, I, I want to be real with you because I hope that opens up everyone's minds to the possibility. Yeah, Darren, I mean, be, being, remember, being remember what business. I sent with you, remember what I sent to you about Jamie being on a, you know, on a panel and um, it's, it's strange to see because he was pretty open about uh, you know, how much he was, he was hurting at least in that moment and then it was like, well, let's, you know, he was on this talk about mental health and it's like, well, okay, let's move on. You know, it's also, also talks about the speed of all of our lives and the, the, the need to, as people be aware of having the opportunity to say, no, wait, pause, pause. Does it, that it doesn't matter where you are or who you're talking about, always listening. And as a journalist, right? We're, we're, we're taught to not have the next question lined up, maybe have notes, but don't have it in order and always listen. And, and, and for the reason, like something like that, it's like, wait, 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 what did you just say? Or, you know, and, and we need that and we need people in life, whether if you're in any conversation that means anything to you, you need to be, a, everyone needs to be a better listener here. Because you need to be able to question when someone says something, uh, because I think there are, not to put it on anyone who's gone through this, but there are moments that happen that we should stay open, open with all our friends and all of our family members. If something doesn't seem right, or if something is casually talked about in, in a way that shouldn't be casually talked about, I'm not saying that all mental health manifests itself. 
but it does help if we are all open and and think of ourselves almost in a journalist role to 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 question something that might not seem exactly right and knowing when to i'm going to add to what you said darren because it happened between you and i today and people might i think i'm embarrassed for saying this but i called you and you said to me not now can't handle can't talk got too much on my plate right like i don't do that enough what you did to me when people call me i'm like all right let me let me put something to the side guys when we men women it doesn't matter when you're dealing with a lot of stuff and you're a people pleaser and you take more on and you take more on and your work is your dopamine hit and you enjoy doing it and you enjoy helping people, you get to a point of burnout. And that burnout is where these types of disassociative type of feelings, thoughts, behaviors happen. And so I'm giving you credit for saying no to me, Darren, when I called, even though I don't like it. <laughs> um, but but we need to be willing. And, and, and when you say, listen, Darren, I'm piggybacking on your comment about listening, because it's not just what someone's saying in terms of the narrative that they're speaking, but we have to be open to when someone's like, I'm shot right now, you got to give me some time that you need to give that person time. All right, let's go. Last two topics here. Unfortunate, awful, tragic, sad stories that no one threaded together. And and I'm I'm upset that that our media didn't do this because two of them happened in the same day. One of them was reported two days earlier. Okay, so I'm going to give the chronology here. Washington Post does an article on suicides at Yale and the way that the school is handling suicides at the university. And they tell the story of a number of suicides that happened. And then there's this one young woman who doesn't want to be um, identified. So she goes under the letter of S. And how she talks about how she was the victim of sexual abuse, uh, trauma, sorry there, leads towards suicidal ideation, leads towards a um, stay at the psych ward. And uh, the university tells her in in not so many terms, you basically have to leave campus. You have to take a leave of absence. Now, I, look, as someone who works with universities, it would be the worst decision in the world for me to say, make a blanket statement that says universities are handling this all wrong. How awful that we don't know what goes on. We don't know everyone's program. We don't know all the things that they're doing. Right. But we do know that there is a risk aversion towards students be on campus when suicide can happen. Okay. So I think there needs to be something that is examined in terms of what are our policies when it pertains to students who have suicidal ideations. Now that story comes out before we dive into it. Then two stories back-to-back come out after that. You've got the murder of three players from um, the University of Virginia football team by a gun from a former player who played as a freshman and no longer had been playing for a while. And the trauma story that he shared about his father leaving, not, not recently that he shared, but that you can look up on him, his father leaving at five years old, that being the most traumatic event of his life, other students in class picking on him all the time him not being on the team anymore. And then a story that we don't have a ton of information about it because the, the killer is still at large, at least it is to this point of, of us recording is the murder of four students in university of Idaho uh, by a knife. Now, let me get in. I... There. Let me get it. Let me get in here. Yeah. The problem with institutions, with companies with everyone is there is always this liability first angle, right? There's a, when you go into um, 
um, when you, <clears throat> what did you tr were tracking you at the time when you when you went in and you had a had a mental health issue or you know your the tracking of that patient that student right is is always seems to at least be more important than the result of how do we get the help it's the tracking seems to come first and it's always been that way it's always been that way okay but, and, but the tracking darren like we're seeing the uptick happen we're, we're seeing the outcomes and how awful they are happening like it, it, i think there's got to be a certain point look we talk about all the it time. It goes how back to it goes back to synthesis. We aren't holding hands together. We have a vigil in in uh, in Virginia, right? You have a vigil, and so, and someone puts out on Twitter, you know, you know, look at this picture tonight of of the campus coming together, and I'm like, yeah, it looks exactly like every other picture. Let's put all the other pictures together, but we don't put all the other pictures that's, together. That's that's. That's why I was so upset that these three things happen. And you want to take the yell. But it one also out of it. happens with the. It also happens with. Okay, so we're always comparing mental health and guns. It also happens with the gun stories. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Like, I'm not revealing anything here that I don't think people don't know because you and Theo are both public figures. But there's always the right conversation when it comes to murders and and mass shootings, and then there's the left's conversations and. A lot of times these stories get used for there's guns and there's not guns. There's, you know, like that, that unfortunately that's what happens. Theo, right. It's like, it, it's put into one of those categories. And I think what is fascinating about this case is you talk the, the interviews and the, and the sound bites from the detectives that were on the scene in Virginia, they said it was the most bloody and I don't want to get too graphic here, but the most bloody crime scene they've ever seen. And you know, the, 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 we had one case where there were three murders, maybe more high profile because it was football players. Another case where it was four murders, but they were both college students right at the same time. One is getting a lot more play than the other one. And these messages get commandeered, unfortunately, when it's okay, we can use this for political gain that there's a gun issue versus not. I think all of us can make the claim that we need to have more common sense um, gun conversations let's call it that okay in fairness to everyone out there we're not trying to 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 go away from the idea that we need to have conversations about about guns and gun laws but what we are saying is at the expense of talking about mental health so we're gonna all of a sudden oh theo how many times do i get upset with you where i'm like a, a mass shooting happened or a mass murder happened and you have all these nonprofit executive directors come out and go this was not a result of mental health seriously like so someone can shoot up a building of people someone can stab four people and they were in the right mindset i guess it depends on how you define mental health but come on to not make that part of the conversation but here we are again we're not talking about trauma yep. hurt people, people hurt, hurt people exactly right and you know, when we have unresolved trauma history, and I would say because I work in the prison system and I've worked with guys who have taken other people's lives, if you dig into their personal history, if you look at their trauma profile, it makes perfect sense, right? And, you know, the simple fact that we don't talk about trauma as being 
the number one cause of, you know, mental health challenges. We, we, we do ourselves a disservice uh, when we don't do that. Right. Well, you know, listen, we, I, and, and, and in not doing that ourselves to, you know, to throw the proverbial spaghetti against the wall and hopefully it sticks when we're actually doing a disservice to, you know, prevention, you know, preventing the next mass murder. Yeah. Right. Well, and, 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 and why do I bring those three stories up together, Theo? We found the trauma history of this young Yale student who goes by S. We've learned about her sexual abuse. We found the trauma history of the shooter in Virginia. We don't know yet, okay, but we're hearing crime of rage, right, for the people who are involved there. Mm-hmm. Three stories, tra- three stories, trauma, 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 right? And, and anger, anger and rage is an addiction. Yes, yeah. It, it's it's a soothing mechanism for what the pain that they're feeling, right? And yet these stories don't get threaded together. Okay. I, I, we could go on about this story forever because it's it's fascinating. And and hopefully everyone who's following along as we get into this last story is seeing the thread that we're trying to bring together here of all of these different current event topics that are treated like they're different things and they're not different things. They're connected to one another. It's the only way we create this safe space is finally you've got Isaac Humphreys plays for University of Kentucky uh plays for the NBA, you know, cup of coffee, not a huge career in the NBA for the Atlanta Hawks, but wears the jerseys on the team. He's now playing in the NBL, which is Australia's top league. And he's the only right now openly gay basketball player in a top pro basketball league. So kudos to him, number one, for having the strength coming out. I I encourage anyone who hasn't seen the video to go to Isaac Humphrey's Instagram page and watch it's about a two and a half minute speech revealing to his teammates and coaches that he is gay. But in that reveal, and the beautiful thing is the way that they accepted him in that reveal, he says, I was in a very dark place before this and I attempted suicide. He doesn't get into the details of it. He's probably not yet ready to share yet, but same theme of what we've been talking about this whole show with you. And what, uh, what I want you to give an opinion on as we wrap here is I think of how prevalent suicidal ideation and then suicide attempts are in the LGBTQ community. And people talk about it. Is it acceptance in society? Is it, is it, there are no stats out there that I've been able to find on how do those attempts break down into before they were open about their suicide or about their, uh, their sexuality versus after they were open. But in, in Isaac's case, he shares it was before he was ever open. My belief is I have many friends who are gay. My belief is when you have to hold on to something like that as a secret and you feel isolated and alone and in your own head and the what if scenarios of how are people going to react to this, that creates an internal combustion that is so difficult that leads to these type of unfortunate outcomes. Yeah, again, you know, I, I, I got to go back to compassion and empathy, right? Is, you know, we live in such a divisive society and community that, that there is no more room for compassion and empathy in anything we do. It's, it's about choosing sides, 
and and your your story is a perfect example of uh compassion and empathy right is where is the safe space for that community to be able to tell you know to talk about their truth and then stand in their truth when the majority of people don't have compassion and empathy for you know the lgbq community right you know um it's not it it you know and 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 the thing is it's nobody's fault here it's it's education education of compassion and empathy where is my compassion and empathy right because i know when i was going through what i was going through there was no compassion and empathy it was like you need to get better as fast as you can because we need you back on the ice well no i i can't do it and i couldn't say that i couldn't say it so i sucked it up i sucked it up and i went about my business and then they were shocked that i had a meltdown they were shocked that i had a meltdown yep. and i can see in this story that exact scenario playing out so so a meltdown theo for everyone who's listening to the terminology a meltdown and then a burnout and then a nervous breakdown and then suicidal thoughts and ideations and then an addiction and an overdose these are all manifestations of the same thing of the pot boiling over but society calls them these different things right and so it, and we even use the terminology that they're different things like as as people right and maybe that's where a lot of the compassion doesn't come from i want to be sensitive to the lgbtq community in that we're we still have a ways to go we've gotten a lot better as a society yes. but we've still got a ways to go because for someone to have to live with the fear of how will people react if i share this truth that's an awful thing to have to live with we all know what it's like to have to live with secrets or things mm -hmm. we're fearing how people are going to react to that's a yeah. well you know that old saying you're only as sick as your secrets is yes. you know that's that's what happens is if i carry a secret around at some point something's going to happen that's not that's not what i want to happen or i choose to happen it's because uh i can't find uh, a place or a community that has enough compassion and empathy to hear exactly what my story is without judgment without pointing the finger I don't know where to find that that place. Yep. And 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 the story you just told is a, is a story of that. Yep. Right? Is first and foremost, we are all human beings. Doesn't matter what label we have, professional athlete, you know, I'm gay, I'm trans, I'm I'm whatever. The bottom line is you're a human being who's struggling with something. And as a human being, I need to be there for you to help you get to where you need to go. So I'm willing to listen to the story with compassion and empathy because I know how you feel because I went through something very similar where I couldn't tell the world what my truth was. And that I, bottom line is where we got to get to, Eric. It's where we got to get to. It's, it's, it's you know. Listen, it th this we went longer than I uh, I mentioned that, that this is going to be longer than our average show will be about an hour in time. 
But these were important topics because we missed a lot over the last many months since we got back together. But what I hope was shared here was this thread. Theo just wrapped it up well, this thread of this human condition, all these different stories that sound like they're different situations, different stressors, different uh, X and O's of what happened, different reporters from different areas of of reporting, you know, chiming in on things. At the end of the day, there is that common thread, and that's what we hope to bring to you. That's what we will bring to you over the course of the rest of this season and beyond. So on behalf of Theo, on behalf of Darren, thank you for episode one. Excited for what the rest of the season entails. We're all a little crazy. Brought to you by the same here at Global Mental Health Movement.